Verse 24. And as he was saying these things, and I will tell you what these things are in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And I want to pay special attention here to verse 24. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. And Paul in verse 25 said, I'm not out of my mind. Let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, when your word comes, we need to, we need to listen as we were reminded in Psalm 81 that was read tonight that the word came and God's people were not obedient. So, Lord, may we rise from here and do the works of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you about a man by the name of William Borden. William Borden was born in 1887. He grew up in Chicago. He was the son of a prominent businessman who made his millions from a Nevada silver mine. Young William was known as a follower of Jesus, and he spoke to everybody he knew about Christ. He went to Yale after graduation, and uh, he, he went to Yale, and after he graduated from there, he was offered many high-paying jobs. But instead, William decided to go to Princeton Seminary he gave most of his money away to foreign missions and set out for the Muslim world. While studying Arabic in Egypt, young William contracted cerebral meningitis and died three weeks later. He was only 26 years old. They discovered in his diary that he had written these words, no retreat, no regrets, no defeat. Some people said that this poor boy wasted his life. Some people said he was out of his mind to give up his wealth only to die in a faraway land. Was he? Was he crazy? In 1870, Methodist Bishop Milton Wright was leading a church conference 
And during that week, he was told by a college president that in a short time, man would be able to fly like a bird. Bishop Wright rebuked him. This is heresy. This is blasphemy. I read in my Bible that flight is reserved only for birds and the angels. We will not have such talk in this church. Well, Bishop Wright then returned home to his two young sons, Wilbur and Orville Wright. Call him crazy. Or Christopher Columbus. You're going to do what? You want to sail around the world? You'll sail right off the end of the earth. Call him crazy. <laughs> Has anyone ever said to you, I think you're out of your mind? Have you ever asked that question of others? Don't you think some people are crazy the way they drive? What about the person who paid $500 for a pair of sneakers? Are they crazy? She really married that guy? She must be out of her mind. There are some crazy things in the Bible, aren't there? Tomorrow night in my Bible study at Calvary, I'm going to be talking about Noah building an ark in the desert, far away from any water. No doubt people thought he was out of his mind. And David, what about young David? He only had a slingshot and five stones to go up against Goliath. That's crazy too. You see, God's foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom. In fact, Jesus, the sanest man who ever lived, was thought to be out of his mind by his own family. You can read that in Mark chapter 3, verse 21. Sometimes what looks or sounds crazy is really very sane. Richard Dawkins, the British evolutionary biologist, is well known for being a vocal atheist. In 2006, he wrote a book, The God Delusion, a full attack on belief in God. Religion, he said, is a delusion. When one person is delusional, it's called insanity. When an entire group of people are delusional, it's called religion. <laughs> Recently, he may have softened because his dear friend and former atheist, Ian Hersey Ali, has become a Christian. And that changed the landscape. Dawkins has said, there may be something to learn when it comes to religion. He and I have some, she and I have some things to discuss. <laughs> well, what about the gospel? Does it seem crazy to people? What about the Apostle Paul? When Paul was speaking in his own defense before the Roman magistrates, Festus tells Paul, you are out of your mind. We read those words in verse 24. And Paul said, no, I am not out of my mind. I am speaking very rationally. Well, here's the central idea. God's call to follow him may seem like madness to the world, but it's the only path to true sanity. 
And I want to point out, uh, make three points. First of all, there's the faithful declaration of the gospel by the accused, Paul. That's in verses 12 through 23. There's the angry rejection of the gospel by the governor in verse 24. And then there is the sad excuse of the king in verse 28. So first of all, we're going to hear the testimony of the accused, the faithful declaration of the gospel by Paul. The narrative covers the last appearance of Paul before being sent to Rome. And he's telling his story to King Agrippa with Governor Festus nearby. And that's what's taken up in the first part of chapter 26, the first 23 verses. And Paul's argument covers three high points in his life. There is his conduct in Judaism, there is his conversion on the road to Damascus, and there is God's commission to take the gospel to the Gentile world. Verses 1 through 11, he tells about his conduct in Judaism. He was just like his opponents at one time. I know what they're driving at. He said, I was just like them. If, if God hadn't stopped me and changed me, I would, be, I would be right where they are. He was on the fast track to success as a Pharisee. He had clout. He had education. A good standing in his community. He was everything most people hoped to be but would never achieve. He used his position to persecute those who followed Christ. But then, secondly, he mentions his conversion on the road to Damascus. This is the third time in the book of Acts that Paul gives his testimony. He saw a light, he heard the voice of Jesus from heaven, and he was immediately and radically changed. And thirdly, he receives God's commission to take the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus to the Gentile world. This is his testimony before Agrippa. This is in verses 19 to 21. Just as the light of Christ was revealed to Paul on the road, so the light of the gospel would illuminate the heart of Gentiles who are called to eternal life. And the Gentiles would be brought into the family of God and they wouldn't have to become Jews first. They would have equal privileges in the family. It was this teaching that caused all the trouble for the Apostle Paul. He was obedient to this call. He preached Christ to Jew and Gentile alike. And for this, he has been arrested, he's been beaten, put in prison, and forced to defend himself against heresy and treason. So that's Paul's defense. But the second thing we find in the passage is the angry rejection of the gospel by the governor. Verse 26, as I have read it. Paul, you are out of your mind. You are beside yourself. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. And Festus declares this in a loud voice. It does not fit the decorum of a courtroom, certainly. And here's why you're out of your mind, Paul. Too much learning is driving you to madness. 
And what was it that consisted of too much learning? What did Paul believe? The text tells us. He was in prison, verse 2, but he could rejoice. He insisted that God could raise the dead, in verse 8. He had a vision that changed his life. I just told you about that. He was more concerned with preaching the gospel than in being set free, verse 22. He believed in a message of salvation for the entire world of sinners. And if that makes him out of his mind, so be it. And why? Why did Festus respond like that? It was a, it was a sudden outburst. This may have been the result of a lot of pent-up frustration on his part. After all, he'd been following Paul. He'd been a part of some of these trials. And he was frustrated that it wasn't getting anywhere. It was a case that dragged out. And here's hoping that Agrippa can do something because Festus has reached the end of his rope. And so he uses his loud voice. He's heard enough. His outburst was angry. What Paul was preaching to the court finally was hitting him hard, and he had heard enough. The gospel of Jesus Christ is going to get a response out of you one way or the other. It's pretty hard to be neutral. This hearing is over as far as Governor Festus is concerned. I'm out of here, Agrippa, I don't care what else you do, but I've heard enough. Well, this is really what the unbelieving world will do. Question someone's sanity and you don't need to listen. You can stop conversation. The argument is over. Festus didn't get where he was because he believed in resurrection nonsense. He certainly would not squander away what he had gained by accepting the truth of what Paul had to say. There was too much. To lose. All that mattered was this life, not the life to come. And if you think there's a life to come, you're crazy. So the question comes to us, are you out of your mind? I mean, who comes out to church on Sunday night, let alone Sunday morning? Why would you give up your freedom to live your life the way you want in order to follow outdated and slavish rules, or so they think? And you know that to follow Jesus is the path to real freedom. Maybe some people you know among family or friends have questioned your sanity for being a follower of Jesus Christ. And why would you give your money away? I mean, make a contribution here or there, but tithe? That's asking too much. Save your money. Don't be crazy. Why do you give to God one day of your week in worship? How many fathers have said to their future sons-in-law, 
how are you going to provide for my daughter to the level she's accustomed to if you expect her to become a missionary in some God-forsaken place? You're out of your mind. Why would you seek to be forgiving of the person who hurt you so much? That person needs to pay. Are you crazy? Why did the Apostle Paul take the message of the gospel out into the world only to face martyrdom? Why did so many Christians in Rome take rejected babies from the trash heap and raise them as their own? Were they crazy? Why did so many Christians during times of pestilence and disease go into hospitals to help the sick at risk to their own lives when they could run away? save themselves. They must be out of their minds. And why are so many Christian organizations staying in a place like Ukraine to help those who are suffering when they had a chance to leave? Why do Christians do the strange things that they do? Well, we do this because we're marching to a different drumbeat we follow the demands and the commands of the Lord who calls us to follow Him into difficult places, to do difficult things, things that we cannot do naturally, but things He equips us to do out of love for Him. If that's insanity, then uh, so be it. Better to be seen as a fool for answering the call of the gospel than to be considered sane by a world that's under the domain of darkness. It was Nate Saint, wasn't it, who said he is no fool who's willing to lose what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. What is insane after all? Is it Paul or is it Festus? God's word has announced the verdict it's really not Paul who's on trial after all. It's Festus and it's Agrippa. And then the third thing I want to point out from the text is the sad excuse of the king. We see that in verses 26 through 28. The king knows about these things and to him I speak boldly for I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Agrippa said to Paul in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? So it's Festus who speaks the words, you're out of your mind, and Paul doesn't answer directly to Festus, but when he answers Festus, he directs his comments to King Agrippa. It's a brilliant tactic. He wants Agrippa to take a stand. Do you agree with Festus? Agrippa, you know the truth. You know what I'm talking about. You have some knowledge of these things. They're not done in a secret. You know what I'm talking about. Agrippa, after all, was considered an expert in Jewish law by the Romans. Paul appeals to him as a Jew. He knows the stories of the scriptures. He knows the prophets. But it's just head knowledge. He doesn't want to act upon it. He doesn't believe it. Paul wants a decision from Agrippa. What more do you need to know, Agrippa? What more do you need to know? What will Agrippa do? Will he respond to the gospel call or reject it? 
Will he, like Festus, have too much to lose? What does Agrippa do? Well, he stalls. In fact, there's a, a bit of humor in his words. Slow down, Paul. You're like a freight train. Do you think in such a short time you can convince me to become a Christian? And that word Christian is used three times in the Bible. Once it's used derisively. It's used in Acts 11, 26. They were first called Christians in Antioch. It's used in Acts 26, 28, and it's used in 1 Peter 4, 16. Let me ask you, is this a statement of Agrippa or is it a question? Here's a few translations of this verse that other Bibles use. Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? It's a question. Or how about, how about this? It's a statement. You think you're going to make me a Christian then, said Agrippa to Paul, and pretty quick too by the sound of it. Or how about this one? Agrippa said to Paul, you almost succeeded to make me a Christian. Or this one, Paul, you have come close to convincing me to become a Christian. <laughs> the literal idea behind the Greek word almost is a little. And so it's translated, do you think you can convince me in a little bit of time? Or it could mean there's only a little bit between me and Christianity. Could Agrippa be saying, you know, there's really not that much difference between what you believe and what I believe as long as we're sincere? And don't we hear that all around us in our world today? I believe in God. Be a good person. There's really little difference between all of the religions in the world. Agrippa has heard enough too. As long as he and Bernice, his wife, are seated there, Paul's going to preach to them. But Agrippa has heard enough. Let's stop this conversation before I do something I might regret. I might become a Christian. No way that's going to happen. I'm okay with what I believe, and I will stick with that. So close, and yet so far away. Who is the one out of his mind after all. Now this is the time at the end of the sermon to appeal to you to become a believer. And I trust that all of you are. But is there something else that we could glean from a passage like this? I have a... My wife and I have a relative who teaches at a university in the city... And uh, her friends in the university don't really know any Christians and they don't have much time for Christianity. And whenever they say something that may be a little disparaging of Christians, this relative of ours says, wait a minute, I happen to know some Christians and they're really not what you think. They're, they're wonderful people and you need to get to know some. 
And that's a great story. There, there's another illustration that I want to leave with you, and that is Christopher Hitchens. He's uh, another atheist scientist and uh, a friend of Richard Dawkins, who he's passed away now a few years ago, and he, he wrote a book, God is Not Good. And he says basically the same thing that Richard Dawkins does. You're crazy if you're a Christian. But the thing is, Christopher Hitchens was diagnosed with cancer. And he did, in fact, succumb to his cancer. And he passed away. And Christopher Hitchens said before he died, there seemed to be some softening in him. He said, my friends didn't have much to do with me when I got sick. They didn't really have anything to tell me that was worthwhile. But as I was dying, the people that, 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 that came to me and cared about me were the Christians who I was always fighting against. And they said that they were praying for me. They gave me something to think about. Now, I don't know whether Christopher Hitchens ever accepted Christ before he died. There is no real um, evidence that that happened. But you see, it made a difference. We shouldn't care whether people think we're out of our mind or not. We should just love people. Tell them what we believe. And let God determine the outcome. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. And Lord, there are times in our life, I think, when maybe we wonder, is it really rational what we believe? Is it really right? And your Spirit convinces us that it is, as hard as it is to live in this world as believers. And you call us to take that love, that gospel, into other people's lives. We pray that you would help us as individuals and us as a, as a congregation to show that it is really sane to follow Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray.